From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Dr. Koshal Nanavati talks about nutrition, physical exercise, stress management, and spiritual wellness as the core four fundamentals of wellness. Today, I'm asking him what happens to the core four when there's a cancer diagnosis. Dr. Nanavati is the Assistant Dean of Wellness at Upstate, an Assistant Professor of Family Medicine, and Medical Director of Integrative Therapy. He's also a frequent guest on HealthLink on Air. Thank you for being here, Dr. Nanabadi. Thanks for having me again, Amber. I appreciate it. So some of your patients have cancer. How do the core four fundamentals of wellness apply to someone with a cancer diagnosis? Well, and I've had the privilege of also being the director of the survivorship program at our upstate cancer center. So uh, I've been working with cancer patients more specifically over the last, uh, well, 10 years now, going on 10 years. And, you know, what's interesting is uh, these are some of the most, uh, you know, intimate and uh, amazing relationships and, and people that I've met throughout the process. And when there's a cancer diagnosis, there's a whole psychology that goes into that, not only for the person, uh, which, you know, we talk about kind of the stages as we talk about with grief of denial and then ultimately getting acceptance. Uh, but there are a lot of emotions that go with that anger, fear, frustration, hope, uh, you know, and so people... Uh, are looking for what it is that they can do. And conventional care uh, in, in healthcare often focuses on getting rid of the cancer, right? And trying to eliminate the cancer, which is a goal for most people. At the same time, what does the person do when they're not in the doctor's office or getting their treatment? How do they live their life, right? And oftentimes comprehensive programs haven't necessarily delved into that deeply enough. And so, I feel privileged to have the opportunity to do that with patients. So, um, what do you tell them about nutrition? What are the types of things that a cancer patient needs to be thinking of? Well, I think the thing about nutrition is one, it, what cancer patients need to do uh, is often the same thing that most of us need to do, uh, you know, which is not follow what we call the SAD or standard American diet. Uh, and, you know, I, I say that I'm an American, I'm a proud American. Uh, and at the same time, I will say that the Western diet actually has a much greater risk for potential uh, for inflammation, chronic disease, cardiovascular disease, and cancer. So what I talk to them about is actually how do they optimize their nutrition, right? What we feed grows. And for, before we were, you know, got onto this, I was telling you, my morning thought today was what we feed grows inside us around us and in others. And in this case, your nutrition really has a big impact. I think one of the best resources is Harvard's uh, Healthy Eating Plate. It's a fantastic resource that's evidence-guided and updated uh, regularly based on current information. And the fundamental of one thing to know in nutrition is trying to optimize the vegetable consumption that a person can have. Uh, and the recommendation would actually be seven to nine servings, although recent data suggests that even as few as five servings a day actually has benefit for cancer patients. So healthy eating is probably even more important during this time. Well, and that's the thing to remember is that, you know, there are no bad food groups. You know, a lot of uh, people kind of, you know, take out a whole food group from their nutrition. You know, and think about carbohydrates, fats, and proteins. There are no food, bad food groups, but there are bad foods within each group. And when it comes to nutrition, four words to remember, portion, proportion, preparation, 
and timing, right? So carbohydrates can go down as the day goes on. They don't have to be completely eliminated. They're a great fuel, but you don't fill your car up when you pull back in the garage. You fill it before you go on a long trip. So you can front load the carbs. Again, simple sugars aren't your friends, but healthy whole foods. If you're actually thinking about looking at ingredients, just think about that for a second, because we need whole foods. You're not thinking about ingredients on a box. You're actually looking at the whole food itself and combining it and preparing it in a healthy manner. Uh, and so that's really, really important. Uh, when we think about fats, it's healthy fats, right? So uh, when you think about bacon, sausage, ham, a lot of the processed meats, they tend to trigger inflammation uh, and potential for precancerous change. So we talk about healthy fats uh, and healthy proteins as a great way for people to eat. Now, what about exercise? Can that be meaningful for someone who's in cancer treatment? Maybe they're exhausted by cancer treatment um, or don't have the strength that they used to have. Can it still be useful? So there's great data that shows that, uh, and especially with breast cancer, uh, that people who exercise regularly uh, after their cancer diagnosis have a reduced rate of recurrence or reduced risk of recurrence. Uh, of cancer. So we know exercise is value. Uh, the real question is what is exercise, you know, and uh, it can mean different things to different people. So what we recommend generally, and what the WHO has done looking at a lot of people, hundreds of thousands of people, is recommend moderate intense physical activity. And moderate intense means going hard enough that you can speak in small sentences, but not have long-winded conversations, and not so you're to the degree where you might feel like you're going to pass out, right? So that moderate intensity is variable depending on the person and depending on how they feel that day. So some days it might be more intense because I'm feeling it, right? And some days it might be less intense because I'm feeling drained. And so for cancer patients, especially during things like chemotherapy where they might feel really fatigued and drained, the point is to do some degree of activity as you can and listen to your body. There may be, for some people, a, a, a real severe response to the chemotherapy. And if they need rest and their body needs rest, that's what they offer for a few days or during that cycle of chemotherapy. But then getting back into it, you know, one step at a time. And as simple as walking is good enough. It doesn't have to be paying hundreds of dollars to join gyms. Uh, or buying, you know, $2,000 and $5,000 treadmills and bicycles. I mean, if that's what you need for your motivation, different story. But the bottom line is your body is your best resource for physical activity. You just got to use it. Now, stress levels may be higher for someone when they're diagnosed with cancer. Um, what advice do you have for managing stress at a very stressful time? I had one lady who came into me with a lot of stress, you know, and I said, wow, you know, it sounds like there's just more and more. Do you mind just writing it down for me? Uh, and let's get back together again next week. I put the appointment at the end of the day, so there would be no time crunch. Uh, and she came back with eight pages and, you know, a standard primary care family doc visit. And I was like, wow, I'm glad we have, you know, extra time. Uh, but what we talked about was splitting her stresses into two categories things that she could do something about and things that she couldn't control. And when she came back, one page was hers to own. The other seven were stresses in her life, but things that she couldn't directly control. Things like other people's reactions, right? Or other people's stresses. You know, that famous saying, not my monkeys kind of a thing. 
And so what it came back to was every time her mind went to the things she couldn't control for the same time and energy, she could come back to her list of action items, take one thing, make a plan, get it done, and then mark it off. And every night for a month, she would look at how much she got done that day to acknowledge to herself that she was actively living her life versus being stuck in the stuff that she couldn't control anyway, right? And so it allowed her to then start to focus on as things were coming, instead of absorbing them, dealing with them upfront and knowing, you know, steps A and B are mine, but then beyond that, it's out of my control. And so it allows us to recognize and feel more fulfilled about the fact that there are choices that we can make, but there are some things that are beyond our control. And if we keep focusing on those things, will it feel even more overwhelmed, right? And so when it comes to cancer and for cancer patients, you know, once you get a diagnosis, you know, what is it that you can do to help yourself? You know, you can get great information. You know, you can consult with your doctor and your specialist or your healthcare provider. And you can even get a second opinion, right? Until you feel comfortable in the connection and the relationship. Uh, and then they're going to recommend based on what the diagnosis is and what the presentation is, what they feel medically will serve your body and your life best. But even between those steps, there are things you can do, right? As we talked about nutrition, exercise, the simple thing, there's a you know famous Buddhist saying that, you know, when children are young, what's the one thing that you can teach them? And they talk about, well, we can teach them how to breathe, right? Exactly. And that sounds like you're really putting the management into stress management when you talk about laying out your stressors and owning the ones that you can. Let me remind listeners that this is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Koshal Nanavati. He's the Medical Director of Integrative Therapy at Upstate, and we're talking about wellness for people with cancer. Now, I want to ask you what you mean by spiritual wellness and why this might be important even to someone who doesn't consider themselves religious. Well, the thing about it is, is the word spiritual, the word, you know, religion, religion is more a specific term. And spiritual wellness is really about helping one to understand what words like contentment and peace mean to them. Uh, and it's a dynamic. So it's not like you have the aha moment once in your life and then that's what it is throughout your life. I mean, contentment and peace for, you know, a two-year-old is different than contentment and peace for a teenager, and it's different from, you know, a young single person versus somebody uh, who's parenting young children. So at different stages in our lives, those words mean different things. And so the idea of spiritual wellness is periodically reconnecting, right, and recognizing, am I feeling contented with my life stage and what I'm doing now? Uh, am I at peace? And if you're not, then taking the time to figure that out actually helps. And again, when somebody gets diagnosed, right, with something, or somebody is facing a stressor of any kind, sometimes it leads to a shift in their life goal in terms of how they perceive their trajectory. And so then they have to redefine what contentment and peace mean. Um, and that makes a big, big difference also. Contentment and peace um, at a time when someone maybe is facing more medical treatment than they've ever had to face. Um, I just wonder how much of an impact contentment and peace may have on the care itself. Well, and it makes a big, I think that's a great point that you bring up because, 
you know, initially there, there are, as we said, a lot of distressing emotions that come along with this, not only for the person, but for their caregivers as well, right? And so I know I try to meet with their caregivers and connect with them also because oftentimes they're getting secondary communication. Uh, and yet they're going through a journey as well. And so redefining that idea of contentment and peace oftentimes comes back to a simple thing like, you know, for today, how do we make today a more contented and peaceful day? Uh, it can come to the this hour. It can come but down to in this moment, how can I feel more contented and peace? And that's why when I brought up the breath, you know, that's a simple practice. People talk about things like, Oh, you know, with the spirituality, meditation and mindfulness. And I had one person tell me, you know, who didn't really understand it and said, well, you know, I can't, it's really against my religion to meditate. And I said, well, it really comes to deep breathing, right? Optimizing your breath, which is actually belly breathing. Um, and with that, simply, if people can do this right now, put your hand on your stomach. And when you take a deep breath in, the goal is that when you breathe in, the belly pushes out. And when you breathe out, the belly pushes back or back in, right? And you breathe in slow, breathe out slower. But the science says that when you do that for 10 straight minutes of just gently breathing in and out with your belly, cortisol, the stress hormone goes down. But that affects cortisol, affects blood pressure, blood sugar, inflammation, your immune system, and precancerous change. Serotonin, so you think about antidepressants and anti-anxiety medicines, lifting up serotonin, just breathing this way, serotonin goes up, that gets converted to melatonin. And in fact, serotonin has more receptors in the gut than the brain, that affects your nutrient absorption and your toxin release, right? That melatonin we think about for sleep, people use it for sleep, it actually boosts your immune system. Dopamine goes up, so, you know, that actually helps you feel get better and, and your mood. Uh, and, you know, it's a better way to get doped up than using bad substances, right? Uh, and then your adrenaline, your fight, flight, or freeze response actually calms down. Now, Harvard interestingly looked at people for eight weeks where these people averaged 24 minutes at a time of this type of breathing, and they were doing functional MRIs of their brain every week. And by the end of the eight weeks, density in different parts of the brain and the flow actually changed, which means you are having a cellular impact just with breath. Right? So suddenly that wisdom of the, the Buddha saying makes a lot of sense because at any given moment, regardless of what we're facing within us, we have potential to make choice, right? And that choice is as simple as just taking a nice, slow, deep breath, which actually does have a calming effect. And that allows us to gain clarity of thought. It allows us to be able to focus better, to redefine our purpose, and then to think about how do we reinforce this body, this mind, this spirit, and it comes through the, the core four, the things that we've talked about. The first Sunday in June is celebrated as National Cancer Survivors Day. So I wanted to ask you, what does National Cancer Survivors Day mean to you? I think it's a very important thing. You know, we think about on this day, uh, uh, we are reminded uh, of the journey that cancer patients endure uh, and that their caregivers endure. And so we celebrate uh, you know, the journey. And at the same time, we also remember those who may have passed, uh, but who also endured that journey. So I know at Upstate uh, and around the country in, in different cities uh, and different organizations, National Cancer Survivorship Day is, is a day where we actively acknowledge 
the journey of cancer uh, and all those involved in it, including the patients, their caregivers, our community as a whole and organizations that support cancer patients, a lot of volunteer organizations that support cancer patients and the healthcare providers who, you know, navigate the journey with the patients. I think it's really a community uh, awareness and celebration and acknowledgement uh, that cancer is a global issue. It's, it's a human issue uh, and it's also a planetary issue because the environment plays a great role uh, for many different types of cancerous developments. Well, you've given us a lot to think about. Thank you to Dr. Koshal Nanavati. He's the Assistant Dean of Wellness at Upstate, an Assistant Professor of Family Medicine and Medical Director of Integrative Therapy. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and radio talk show, HealthLink on Air.